NetCredit is here to say yes because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles, and welcome to 2023. Welcome. I'm Dan. I'm Lindsay. And boy, do we have an exciting announcement right now. Summer camp. Woohoo! You guys, we're doing it. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. All right. So you've waited so anxiously for this information. So we're very excited to share it with you. Wet Hot Bad Magic Summer Camp Round 2 is officially a go. We've been talking about it and talking about it. And we're just mm-hmm. hammering out some very minute details that really just don't even matter, like in the big grand scheme of yeah. things. But we want to give you guys the most important information, which is number one, when do tickets go on sale? Mm-hmm. Okay. So tickets go on sale starting Monday, January 16th. And how it's going to happen. And what time? Uh, 12 noon Pacific time. Perfect. It'll drop alongside Time Suck. Great. Okay. Since that's like the OG of mm-hmm. the OGs. So we'll start with that. Now, the order in which the tickets will be sold, you're going to need to pay really close attention. If you were a camper last year, doesn't matter, VIP, general admission, all OG campers yeah. will have first dibs on tickets. Okay. And okay. that will run for a certain period of time. We'll lay this all out in, yeah. in all the places. You won't have to like re- remember all of this. Then the next round of people that will be able to buy tickets are the Bad Magicians, the Roberts, the Annabelles, and the Space Lizards. So anybody who's a patron of one or of both shows mm-hmm. will have next access. And then from there, any tickets that are left over will be available for anyone else who wants to purchase a ticket. Awesome. So that's the first piece of information. And we'll have the specifics, like Lindsay said, in future episodes as we get closer, social media, Patreon posts, like all those places. Absolutely. We'll make, if you are an OG camper, make sure that you are inside of the Facebook group. You will not be admitted in if you weren't there last year. So don't try and pull a fast one. I've, I'm watching you guys. Um, but if you were there, just make sure that you're in there so you can get all this information as well. Uh, ticket. Okay, when is camp? Let's start there. Yeah. September 21st, Thursday, September 21st. You arrive at camp and you are at camp until Sunday, September 24th. Mm-hmm. You are in the Poconos. So you can start kind of thinking about the travel logistics there. Again, we'll get into more of the specifics, specifics. but you'll have the option to self-drive or to fly to one of two locations and get the uh, pick up the shuttle, which will be like an add-on if that's what you want to do. But everybody can drive to camp if they want to, if that's best for them. Again, we'll get into the specifics a little bit later. Tickets will be 
approximately $1,300 a pop, all inclusive, all your activities, all of your sleeping accommodations, all of your food, all of your booze. So essentially like a cruise, but on land. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's the same idea. You just get there and we've got the rest. And it's like so amazing. Oh, yeah. Huge upgrade. I mean, I mean, every like, uh, uh, you know, modern cabin has a heated shower, mm -hmm. which that is so big compared to last year. <laughs> no one is sleeping on cots, no tents, fresh linens, maybe an extra towel for when you come back from tennis, yoga, kickball, water activities, fishing, so much more out on a private lake, like so much more. Uh, cool app that you can organize all this stuff in. Again, we'll share more details later, but it's just going to be us and camp staff on over 400 beautiful private acres. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. There'll be activities for our extroverts, our yeah. introverts, don't worry, there is truly something for everyone. This camp is incredible. And they, just to like really spell it out for you guys, they do kids camp and adults camp. So they really know how to deal with like a variety of things. And mm -hmm. just in working with them, they're like, okay, well, like, do we have anyone who's celiacs or this? Like yeah. people who last year were vegans or vegetarians or just had other food restrictions that felt like, ah, okay, I only had this one option. Their hands were a little tied. Not this year. Everything is going to be top-notch, amazing. Mm -hmm. We're working with an amazing crew. We're so excited. Um, also, like the other big things to know that you get as part of camp, there are no VIPs. Everyone's a VIP. Right. Tickets are the same for everyone. Your additional costs would be if you want to take the shuttle, if you want to upgrade to a semi-private or a private room, that'll all be on you, of course. Uh, but, you know, we are hoping for this community event again. But the big things are, just like last year, we'll have mm -hmm. our karaoke contest, mm -hmm. which last year was just for the VIPs. You, you guys, it was the most incredibly fun thing. So we're excited yeah. to present it to everyone. I don't even care about karaoke usually, but it was so fun. Right. If so you, silly. If you guys don't know the song, Someone's Knocking at the Door, learn <laughs> it now. We will be doing that yet again. It was amazing. And it's the worst earworm ever. Yeah, Paul McCartney. Oh, boy. Uh, the other big event is that one night we are going to have a live comedy show. You guys, mm -hmm. this is such a big deal. So Dan has been touring for over 22 years. Yeah. And one of his best friends, one of our best friends, Chad Daniels, finally for, is this the first time ever you and Chad no, are going to share a stage? No, we shared a stage, but it's but it was at colleges. It was a long time ago. It wasn't really advertised. You know, we didn't really have fan bases then. Yeah. And so it's the first time in over a decade. Oh my gosh. So you get CD and DC. Mm -hmm. You also get Kelsey Cook. Um, you guys have heard her on The Secret Suck. Also, I mean, she has a huge following. Yeah. And then our awesome dear friends who are incredible uh, comics, Doug Mellard, who was our MC last year, and mm -hmm. also the incredibly funny Harry Riley. Yeah. So we're going to have this like amazing comedy showcase. So you've got karaoke, comedy showcase. And of course, it wouldn't be camp without a live scare to death. death. Mm -hmm. So those are like the big like marquee items that you can count on on top of all of these other incredibly awesome things. Oh, it's going to be so fun. I'm so excited. Yes. Yay. 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 Did you guys feel my excitement? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now a quick charity announcement, and then we are off into the stories. Oh, who cares about charity? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go to camp. All right. Uh, kicking off 2023, the charity of choice this month is the Museum of Tolerance in honor of the International Holocaust Remembrance Day that takes place in January. Per usual, we're recording in advance, so I don't have a total for you at the moment. The Museum of Tolerance is the only museum of its kind in the entire world the Museum of Tolerance is dedicated to challenging visitors to understand the Holocaust in both historic and contemporary contexts and confront all forms of prejudice and discrimination in our world today. For more information, you can visit museumoftolerance.com or you can physically go for a visit yeah. if you find yourself in the Los Angeles area. I'm very excited for that charity. It's part of a larger consortium of charities and that you know, do a lot to combat anti-Semitism, which mm -hmm. unfortunately 
you know, I'm not going to go heavy on it here. I'll probably share a little bit more information on Time Suck, but, you know, the stats show that it's not just Kanye and Kyrie and mm. Alex Jones and, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the lizard guy, David Icke. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's not the just conspiracy guy. theorists yeah. and uh, a few misinformed uh, entertainers and athletes. No. It's, you know, it's, it's rising, which is crazy this close to the Holocaust that it's still coming back. Yeah. Some of my best friends are Jewish and they'll tell me things that I'm like, I'm sorry, what happened? Yeah. Like I am shocked when they tell me the things that they tell me because I can't believe these things yeah. are still happening. Stupidity never goes away. Sure doesn't. Uh, so what horror stories are oh. you starting off 2023 with? Well, I'm really starting off this year with like a really nice, heavy story Good. <laughs> to begin with. But how far will a mother go to save her child? It's like a fascinating sort of like what kind of story. And then uh, back to college, we're going to have a haunted dorm experience in the South. All right. Back to a haunted campus. Uh, before I share mine, I, I just want to say really quick, I watched season one, just finished it last night, of AMC's The Terror, and uh -huh. I really liked it. You didn't watch it. So. No, I was watching Harry and Meghan. <laughs> yeah, per period piece, historical drama with horror elements, and so well done. It's beautifully shot. Uh, acting is fantastic. And so it's it's not, I wouldn't say it's that scary. I didn't find it that scary. But if you want something somewhat in the horror space, this is more of a drama, but horror elements. It's a good watch. I, I did catch some of it over your shoulder, and mm -hmm. I did fall asleep with you one night just while you were watching it, and it yeah. was really good from what I saw. Yeah, very well uh, produced. Mm -hmm. uh, my first story today is uh, set in Portland, Oregon, one of my favorite cities for years now when it comes to uh, stand-up, performing mm -hmm. there. I recorded here this. Maybe I'm the problem. Uh, but this story there in Portland, this story is not about comedy. I'm going to be sharing some uh, lore centered around Portland's underground Shanghai tunnels. Miles of tunnels underneath Portland that connect it to the Willamette River, once used to transport goods in and out of the city and to ocean-going ships. And these tunnels also supposedly were often used for human trafficking. Mm. Sailors getting shanghaied, quote-unquote, kidnapped and forced to work at sea, women getting forced into prostitution and shipped around the world. Some think this stuff never actually happened in Portland, while others think it not only happened, but happened frequently. Hmm. Uh, I'll share some of the lore, and then we'll join a ghost tour of some tunnels in a modern encounter story. And then my first story is longer, second very short. It's the Cherokee legend of the Raven Mocker. Strange, evil spirits, and most feared of all the Cherokee witches. No modern encounter tale with this one, just sharing a spooky legend about a creepy creature. Hmm. Uh, you ready to head back to Portland? Uh, yeah. Quite a bit of time for you and your socks to settle in as I set this up. Okay, well, don't mind this big bruise I have on my leg. Uh... These are my pink dog socks, and they came from a fan in Louisville when we were there. Louisville. I'm not saying it right. Louisville. Louisville. You're saying, Louisville. It, you're saying it close. <laughs> uh, and we <laughs> met in the audience, and she just handed them to me, but I didn't get her name. But She was wearing Golden Goose sneakers. Cool. That's how I remember her. So thank you. They're very cute. <laughs> All right. Here we go. We have covered several scary tunnel-based stories here on Scared to Death before. Tunnels seem to be like attics and basements. A place where we humans experience an above average amount of paranormal encounters. Why is that? Is it just because they tend to be so full of shadows? Does the darkness of tunnels make our imagination run wild? Especially since we are aware that they could theoretically cave in at any moment and leave us buried alive. Since we know that if something were to come for us, we would only have one direction from which we could hope to run and maybe make an escape. Or is it because of how often, especially before modern technology, People perform backbreaking labor and sometimes sacrifice their lives for the creation of many of our tunnels. Did working in inhumane conditions and too often dying in them somehow breed some kind of dark energy that now lingers? Is it because tunnels often concealed away from daily view are often the perfect places to commit crimes? 
leaving victims possibly crying out in pain just beneath or next to or above. Witnesses who might want to help them can't find them. Could be a combination of all this that leads to so many paranormal encounters. Could also possibly be, when it comes to tunnels buried down beneath us, the fact that tunnels are closer depth-wise to the remains of so many of us who lived before that leads to more encounters with non-living entities. And tunnels, if there truly is an underworld, they're closer to it, maybe even connected to it, in some cases, if you're willing to suspend that much disbelief. When it comes to underworlds, we humans have long associated what lies below the ground we normally walk on with death. For instance, ancient Greek and Roman prisons were often created below ground to simulate a kind of burial, symbolically killing a person who went against the social order. It was also believed that the further down you went, the closer you were to the dead, to the land of the dead. In the Western world, this tradition continued throughout the Middle Ages as technology improved to create cavernous spaces underground where people could be held for years or even decades without seeing sunlight, making them exist in a sort of hell. You wonder what some of those people must have seen spending year after year staring at infinite darkness. What shapes might have emerged at the corners of their visions? What entities might have been lurking just out of sight? Perhaps the souls of the ones who had been trapped in the same foul space before them. Is it possible the paranormal is just a little more accessible in these types of dark places? It's likely we'll never know the answers to these questions, but if rumors are to be believed, there is one set of tunnels in the United States that brings to mind a lot of these questions, perhaps more than in any other place in America, Portland-Shanghai Tunnels. In downtown Portland, tourists and visitors, like myself on many occasions in the past, have gathered in shops and restaurants completely unaware of what lies beneath their feet. Maybe you've also been one of these tourists, not knowing that beneath your very feet is a series of 150-year-old tunnels that connect the basements of the city's oldest buildings to the Willamette River, as well as Portland's Chinatown. The tunnels were built by Chinese workers, largely, during the time when Chinatown was the center for trade business. The aim in designing them was to transport goods from cargo ships to the center of the city without congesting the roads, making shipping cheaper and easier. It also made sense because shopkeepers could have their goods delivered to their basements right where those goods were to be stored. At least in theory, it was all a good idea. But the tunnels were also put to nefarious use. This use relates to the sh same shipping industry we just discussed. During the heyday of Portland's commerce era, many cargo ships sailed for many months across the Pacific before unloading their cargo in Portland. And then they'd ferry more cargo back across the Pacific to various ports in Asia and the South Pacific. Sailors had a very short window of downtime in Portland before they had to pack up and set sail again. Many, if not most of these uh, sailors, spent a lot of their short time drinking in the bars, fighting in the saloons, spending a lot of their hard-earned coin in brothels before setting sail again. And then there were the sailors who never planned on heading back to sea again. Some had had enough. They were ready to call it quits. Maybe they'd experienced a close call or lost a friend. Now they feared death by disease or debilitating injury or another better job opportunity came along. Or for whatever reason, they just wanted to be done. And they'd made it known that they were not heading back out. And not all captains took this notice very kindly. Too many men given up a life at sea would leave captains with a variety of empty, important, skilled positions that they would now have to scramble to try and fill in order to be able to leave port on time again. Some captains did not want to take the time to find and or train any new employees. So instead, they supposedly hired thugs to quote Shanghai replacement sailors for $50 a head. The word Shanghai comes from the name of the Chinese city of the same name. People started to use the city's name for that unscrupulous way of obtaining sailors because the east, specifically Shanghai, was often a destination of ships that had kidnapped men aboard as crew. And from this practice is where Shanghai tunnels, of course, get their name. 
Men looking to make a quick buck would prowl Portland's bars, saloons, and taverns. Looking for young, able-bodied men who were out alone, these so-called Shanghaiers would wait until their target was good and drunk and then surreptitiously take them down to the basement. Once out of sight from any suspicious eyes, they'd now knock the men unconscious, drag them through the Shanghai tunnels to the docks, a long and painful journey, bumping across damp stone and splashing through puddles, usually at the hands of people who did not care what kind of condition you were in when you got there. And then things would get even worse. These men would often wake up to find themselves miles away from shore from any life they'd known. Their choice was now between labor or whatever fate they would meet in the depths of the cold waters of the Pacific if they were tossed overboard. Women, too, weren't always safe from the Shanghai tunnels. Sex trafficking is sadly far from a recent modern humanitarian concern, and prostitution rings allegedly often used to employ the tunnels to hold groups of women in cages for long periods of time as they work to secure buyers outside of Portland, mostly outside of the U.S. Again, some of this history is disputed, but supposedly during the height of its operation, an estimated 2,000 people a year were illegally smuggled through Portland's underground tunnels, a scary average of over five people a day. Many were beaten, starved, sometimes left for dead deep within the tunnels. And on top of all the smuggling, various local gangs supposedly used the tunnels for their hideouts and would often drag their victims down into the tunnels to keep them from talking to police. There are rumors that gangs even kept disobedient members in the tunnels as a form of punishment. Oftentimes, a disobedient gangster would be left by themselves tied up with no light, no food, no water. Sometimes the gangs would retrieve their man after a certain period of time. Other times they wouldn't. And he'd slowly and painfully die of thirst or wounds suffered in some kind of beating or suffer an even worse fate. Perhaps the rats would find and eat him. All in all, pretty much anything or anyone could be smuggled or left in the Shanghai tunnels, and with human life not being much of a consideration when it came to the business that went on down there for some, it's estimated that hundreds of people met their untimely ends below the city of Portland. Today, tourists can wander through some, but not all, of these tunnels on guided tours, and many have reported strange encounters on their trips underground after doing so. Some travelers have reported feeling watched as they move through the tunnels. Others have written it off as the temperature decreasing underground, causing goosebumps. Still others insist that they saw something, something staring at them from the shadows. Numerous tunnel explorers have reported seeing some specific entities, such as the apparition of an Asian man walking past them in the tunnels. This spirit has been given the nickname of Sam, and Sam is said to be responsible for turning off the lights in various bar basements. Sam also apparently likes to move things around in the tunnels as explorers walk by. How did Sam receive his name? Many years ago, a tour guide reported hearing a voice calling out the name Sam over and over again. He thought it was just a member of his group before he realized that all of the tourists were behind him, and the voice was definitely coming from up ahead. And the name was uh, then assigned to the apparition the same guide claims to have personally encountered. It's thought that the real Sam, when he was alive, lost some valuable cargo in the tunnels, and now in death, goes back for it every night, still unable to locate it. Others have reported seeing quick movements of shadows not associated with Sam and feeling ghostly fingers on their shoulders when no one is around. Possibly these spirits are the tricksters some have identified who pull at shirt tails or gently tug at the ends of travelers' hair. Some speculate that these are the ghosts of long-dead gang members caught in one of those loops or echoes we've talked about here before, living out the same moment over and over, playing tricks on one of their own, goofing off after a drunken night. Or maybe it's not that innocent. Not everyone believes these trickers are just spirits lost in a memory or having a little fun. One man remembers hearing the sounds of a child uh, of childlike whistling just before he was violently thrown to the ground. 
After standing up, he said he turned to see who had knocked him down. Lifting his flashlight, he saw that no one was behind him. He got full body chills and was more afraid than if someone had been there meaning to do him harm. And he felt his life was in danger. Later from the safety of the surface, he'd look up the Shanghai tunnels, learn about men who were sometimes tortured for hours before being carted off to waiting ships. Had something been wanting or actually trying to take him away? He thinks that's exactly what happened. Whatever the case, he would still be luckier than the two people who decided to take a tour of Portland's Shanghai tunnels just last summer. Time now for the tale of They Live On in the Tunnels. Kaya and Ellie didn't ever think they would wind up in the Shanghai tunnels. The two girls have been best friends since they were in diapers, and they continued being best friends when Kaya's family moved just outside of Portland when the girls were 11. It was shitty that Kaya had to move for her dad's new job away from Arizona, but the fact that Kaya and Ellie's parents were friends from back before they were born kept their friendship alive. After the move, Ellie's parents would take Ellie and her brother Colton to Kaya's family's house and there and, and for, for, I'm sorry, he, uh, there, here and there, my God, <laughs> for family get-togethers. Sorry, my voice is so dry. I never do this in the middle of a story, but I suddenly am just like overcome with dryness and have to take a quick drink. That's okay. And oh my gosh, there's so many things. I uh, try not to stop down here. <laughs> it's all right. Every once in a while, even the best storyteller needs a little throat lube. It's, it's the winters here. I know. They are very dry. Yep. You can never right. get away from the dryness. That's okay. At least it didn't happen like in the meat of the story. Exactly. Just getting set up. That's why I felt good about it. <laughs> You're fine. So they would, uh, yeah, they would, uh, Ellie's parents would take Ellie and her brother Colton to Kaya's family's house here and there for family get-togethers, and they'd actually stay uh, together at Kaya's house for two weeks every summer. Those two weeks were always perfect. Swimming in the river nearby, hanging out with Kaya's neighbors, who were way cooler than Ellie's neighbors down in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. One of them even had a glass-blowing studio on his property, and getting to sleep outside under the stars while the fire pit glowed nearby. It was the same when the girls were 12, 13, 14, 15, and even 16. A little paradise where the kids could just be themselves and the adults could kick back on some of the evenings, have a few beers, and hang out. But this summer, Kaya and Ellie were 17, and for some reason their normal vacation routine just wasn't doing it for them anymore. Maybe it's because they both had super stressful years. Both of them trying to put lots of extracurriculars on their college applications, volunteering, studying for the SATs, etc. Maybe it was because they were just older and now they wanted to spend their time hanging out with their friends at their respective schools and their respective cities. And okay, go into a couple parties where maybe there were some cute boys instead of seeing who could do the most cannonballs off the end of the dock. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was because Colton had entered his snarky teenage years and was now super annoying to hang out with all of the time. Maybe it was for all of these reasons. So when Kai and Ellie heard of a plan that some of Kai's friends had to drive about two hours to a new, uh, had to drive about two hours to a nearby beach for a night of stargazing and yes, partying, but nothing too intense, they wanted to go so badly. It's just a beach day, Kaya said to her parents over breakfast, alert for once at eight in the morning. Ellie sat beside her, hands folded in her lap, trying to present the image of a responsible young woman. We're literally probably not even going to swim. If you're not going to go swimming, what's the point of going to the beach? Ellie's dad, who was pouring himself a cup of coffee, pointed out. Ellie and Kaya often liked how close their parents were, but sometimes it felt like they had four parents instead of two. That's not the point, Ellie said. The point is, we're responsible. We'll have our phones on us the whole time. It's like, we'll be like a block away, but you won't be a block away, Kaya's mom said. You're going to be two hours away, Kai. That's a big drive for someone who just got their license a month ago. Two months ago, Kaya corrected, unable to keep the irritation out of her voice. Two months ago, and I've never been in an accident or even gotten a ticket. And driving at night, Ellie's mom said, as though Kaya hadn't spoken. I don't know, girls. 
Why do you never let us do anything? Ellie snapped. Are we just supposed to play in the backyard like five-year-olds forever? What happens when we go to college? Kaya piled on. You won't be able to keep us from doing stuff then, and that's just a year from now. It would have almost been satisfying if their parents had gotten annoyed, but instead, they just exchanged amused glances. We'll talk about it, Kaya's dad said. Kaya and Ellie groaned. They knew that was code for no, which was so unfair. Later in Kaya's bedroom, Ellie tried to be optimistic. Maybe they'll let us, she said, and we can always hitch a ride with your friend from basketball. Miles? Kaya shook her head. No, he's on vacation with his grandparents. Ah, I feel so fucking salty now. Shit, Ellie said, flopping down on Kaya's bed. If I have to stay around here the entire summer, I'm going to go insane, Kaya said. She flopped down next to Ellie and buried her face in the pillow. I can't wait until I graduate, she said into her pillow, her words muffled. Later that evening, as the two families gathered to watch a movie in the living room, the expected news came. The girls would not be allowed to go to the beach party. Kaya and Ellie rolled their eyes and stood up. Great, Kaya said. We're going to my room then. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't let us finish, Kaya's mom said. We understand that you girls want a little more autonomy and you want to do something exciting. So we got you a little surprise. Oh no, Ellie murmured. We decided to get you guys tickets to go on a ghost tour in Portland, Ellie's mom said, smiling wide. And you guys can get lunch and do some shopping and you won't even have to drive. You can take the bus. Amazing, Kaya said flatly. The bus. Hooray. Kaya used to love playing tourists in Portland, Kaya's mom said to Ellie's parents. We'd go to the Rose Garden and to Powell's downtown. Mom, Kaya said. You don't have to give them my entire life story. Oh my God. Before anyone could say anything else, Kaya left the living room in a huff. And uh, um, thank you for the tour and the other stuff, Ellie said. Always a politer one before she followed Kaya to her room. As the girls lay in Kaya's bed, uh, they thought about turning their parents' offer down. It wasn't like either of them were crazy about ghost tours. But they had to admit that they did need a day out of the house. And shopping, getting lunch out, it did sound fun. So, okay, Kaya said begrudgingly the next morning at breakfast. We'll take the bus to Portland. You guys are going to have so much fun, Ellie's mom said immediately. But not too much fun, Ellie's dad said. Got it, got it, Ellie waved, waved them off. Can we just go now? You have our blessing, Kaya's mom said. Both girls went upstairs to get ready for the day, hoping at least to take some cute pictures to post on Instagram, if nothing else, and then walked to get to the bus uh, to downtown Portland. By the time they got downtown, it was 11 in the morning, and they just had an hour before their tickets said they were supposed to meet their guide on the street corner. And that time, they actually did have fun. Got lattes with cool latte art, went to Powell's Books, picked out some cute notebooks for next year, took a few fun pictures, maybe a video for TikTok, a little bit for Snapchat... By the time they got to the tour, they were actually in a good mood, laughing and joking like the best friends they'd always been. Then they turned a corner and saw who they assumed was their tour guide carrying a big sign that said, Ghost Tour Meets Here. Oh my God, Kaya said. This is going to be so mid. The tour guide was a guy in his 20s wearing a steampunk outfit, but that wasn't the thing that annoyed the girls. It was the other tourists waiting. Families with lots of kids who were yelling and climbing all over each other. They made them roll their eyes. Are you joining us for the ghost tour? The tour guide said. I'm Mark. We'll be heading down shortly. Down? Ellie said. I thought this was a tour of haunted buildings or whatever. Not quite, Mark grinned broadly. We're headed deep into the Shanghai tunnels today to explore Portland's dark and disturbing history. A legacy of kidnapping, crime, and even, he paused for effect, murder. Wow, Kaya said. Murder. Ellie elbowed her friend. She felt a little bad for Mark. He seemed like a nice guy, being stuck with all these kids and two teens who didn't care very much one way or the other. Cool, Ellie said, trying to be supportive. I didn't know there were tunnels under the city. More than you could ever imagine, Mark promised. Just stick close to the group. Wouldn't want you getting lost down there. He left to check in some other people and Kaya rolled her eyes. <laughs> getting lost down there? 
please. If they're taking a bunch of kids and families, it's probably as dangerous as the grocery store. I don't know, Ellie said. A whole network of tunnels under the city and people were killed there? Seems creepy. You're just saying that because you think Mark is cute, Kaya teased, and Ellie blushed. I do not. A moment later, Mark called them all together to begin the tour. He gave them the rules. No going off on your own. Use the buddy system. Let him know if you're getting claustrophobic or need to take a break. And he said that there would be a quiz at the end about the material and whoever won would get a special prize. Also, he added, whatever you see down there, make sure you stay with the group. Sometimes it can get confusing. You think you're going one way and it turns out you're not. Some people have said that they've wound up in rooms they'd never seen before and haven't been able to find since. And some people say that there were people, dead people, ghosts in those rooms. Blow me, Kaya whispered. (laughs) Ellie nudged her again. Kaya could be such an ass. Funny sometimes, embarrassing at other times. Also, something about the way Mark was talking creeped her out. And maybe it was the very idea, or maybe it was the very idea that beneath her feet, there was a place she didn't know about, where people might be moving through that very second, where someone might be screaming to get out, where they could be trapped forever. Ellie! Kaya shouted halfway down the block. Are you coming? Ellie jogged to keep up. They went through a local store and down to its basement, where Ellie saw a hole leading down into the ground about the size of two large men. So that was what Mark meant by claustrophobia. It looked dark and damp like some place where you could get stuck in the darkness. Ready, Ellie? Mark said, offering his hand. There are steps, just go slowly. Okay, she said, breathing hard. When she turned back, Kaya was making a kissy face and she flushed again. She could do this, she wasn't scared. Look how blase Kaya was being about the entire thing, like it was no big deal. Mark climbed down last, shining a flashlight beam over the group, and Ellie and Kaya saw that they were in an enormous chamber, the ceiling high over their heads now. Mark said, his voice echoing, Welcome to the Shanghai Tunnels, everybody. Now, he continued, the Shanghai Tunnels were constructed in... As he went on, Kaya and Ellie followed him, bumping along amid the crowd of tourists. They walked slowly because someone was always stopping to tie their shoe or yelling at their kid, Max, get over here! Riley, stop hitting your brother! And occasionally they had to stop while someone caught their breath. It was quickly becoming apparent to Ellie that Kaya was bored. This is so fucking dumb, she whispered. I mean, it's cool to be down here and all. But if I have to listen to another stupid question, I think I'm going to purposely fall down the next set of stairs. It's only an hour, Ellie whispered back. And then a voice in her head said, It's only supposed to be an hour. Who knows how long we'll be down here. Where did that come from, she wondered. I know, Kaya said, grinning in the dim light of Mark's flashlight. Let's go explore by ourselves. Kaya, no. Ellie shook her head. You heard him. We're not supposed to wander off. Oh my God, are you scared? How dangerous can it be? Kaya interrupted. She pointed at the tourists, still shuffling along. They've made it barely 10 feet in the time that the girls have been talking. They're bringing families down here. Maybe we'll actually find something cool if we head out on our own. Ellie hesitated. No part of her wanted to go further into the tunnels, especially just not the two of them. She just started having the feeling that something was watching her, moving around just out of their line of vision. Sounds were becoming distorted, making her think that a drip of water or a footstep was much closer than it was or Was it the inverse? Was the source very close and only sounded far away? She figured she was just getting naturally worked up hearing all of Mark's stories. The same way you get spooked watching a scary movie in the basement. But still, why push it? Come on, Kaya said, tugging on her arm. Or do you want to do baby shit like this forever? As Kaya touched her arm, Ellie suddenly smelled something overpowering. Roses, maybe? Some kind of dusty perfume? Smelled like something a much older woman would wear. Or maybe a young woman from a long time ago. Ellie felt her legs literally go weak with fear. I have to find some place to hide if they find me, though. The thought broke off as Kaya dragged her into the darkness around a bend. 
Who was that? Ellie wondered. It didn't sound like a voice she knew. Up ahead, Ellie swore she heard a gasping breath now, but the tourists were back behind them, their voices already growing faint. Come on, Kaya said triumphantly. I have my phone flashlight. Let's go. Bit by bit, they moved ahead, and Ellie saw the entrances to the basements that Mark had mentioned, the place the cargo would be stored before being brought up to sell. Some of the walls seemed to have scorch marks on them, maybe from the days before electricity, when people had to bring torches to find their way. Unsurprisingly, most of what Ellie saw was trash. Food wrappers, pieces of paper, a pile of old oily rags. A pile of oily rags? Ellie stopped in her tracks. She wanted to believe that it was another piece of trash, but as she approached the rag, she was hit with another powerful scent. Not roses, like last time, but something chemical, something that made her feel woozy. And this time, she heard a gruff male voice. He's got to be here somewhere. Put out the torches. We can find our way out of here with our eyes shut, but he can't. Ellie! Kaya called, her voice echoing. Come here, I found something. How had Kaya gotten so far away? Ellie shuddered and stumbled away from the rags. Maybe she was getting claustrophobic. Maybe that's why she was imagining things and hearing voices. Ellie sometimes imagined that she heard people talking when she was in new places, but always figured that she was just making up stories inside her head, just keeping herself entertained by imagining what had happened there in the past. This was different. This was not entertaining. This was terrifying. Ellie reminded herself that she had to keep going, if only to keep up with Kaya. Two people down here was better than one. She sped up until she arrived where Kaya stood, peering down into an offshoot. Steam, Kaya said, pointing. She was right. Valves poured steam out, filling the chamber. It billowed as Kaya moved through it, laughing. It's like a sauna. Kaya, be careful, Ellie called. Kaya was carrying her phone with the flashlight, making her look like a ghostly figure shrouded in mist and white light. A moment later, all that was left of her was a speck in the billowing white. Kaya, come back, Ellie called. Ellie, Kaya sing-songed. Ahead, her phone flashlight went out. Where are you? Kaya, stop, Ellie said. Turn the flashlight back on. I will not give the sons of bitches the satisfaction. Either I will get out of here or I will die trying. This time it was a young man's voice with a crisp transatlantic accent. Ellie, relax. Kaya sing-songed again. Her voice sounded closer, but Ellie wasn't sure. When she spoke again, she sounded like she was behind Ellie, and Ellie thought she heard footsteps circling her now. Is Ellie Welly scared of the big bad tunnels? Does Ellie Welly want to run back to Marky? Stop it, Ellie said, now trembling head to toe. It was just her friend, she reminded herself, just her silly friend playing a stupid joke, running around her to act like someone was down here. It's not funny. Ellie! And then Kaya's voice broke off. When she spoke again, it was in her normal voice. What the fuck? What? What is it? Kaya's flashlight came back on and Ellie saw that her friend was not behind her. Kaya was ahead of her. She hadn't even moved. So whose footsteps had Ellie heard? But Ellie couldn't think about that now because the look on Kaya's face made her gasp. She rarely saw her brave, brazen friend look scared. No, not scared. Downright terrified. There was a face in the steam. <gasps> a human face. A human hand reaching out towards the girls. The mouth swung open as if to scream. And what came out was a hiss, loud enough to be a shriek. And the cloud roiled towards them like an ocean wave, crested by that screaming face and that hand stretched out with fingers splayed. Both girls shrieked in terror. Run! Ellie then yelled. Kai's flashlight bounced off the walls as the two of them scrambled back the way they had come. But which way had they come? The steam seemed to be following them, licking at their ankles. And as they ran, Ellie swore she saw shapes in the steam. Not the face now, but moving limbs. People running. People walking. People crouched in terror, their faces frozen masks of horror, waiting some sick fate. Ellie! Kaya screamed. It's touching me! It's touching me! It's touching me! 
Ellie turned around to find Kaya still running, still trying to get away from whatever was happening down there. And then she slammed into something solid falling to the ground. You're not supposed to be here. The figure towered above Ellie, eerily tall, steam swirling around its feet. Kaya whimpered in the background. And then Ellie noticed the steampunk hat, the familiar brown eyes. Mark, she gasped, we, we got we got lost. We're sorry, Kaya mumbled as Ellie climbed to her feet. When she looked down, she saw that there was no steam, just the crumbling stone floor of the tunnels. Where, where's everyone else? Ellie asked, looking around for the tourists. I dropped them off at a safe point above ground to come looking for you two, Mark said. I'm afraid... This violates our tour policy, and I'm going to have to take you back up above immediately. That's perfect, Kaya said hurriedly. We just want to get out of here. Ellie thought she now saw some recognition in Mark's eyes as he turned around and began to lead them out of the tunnel. He certainly didn't act surprised to see them glancing over their shoulders as they climbed the stairs towards the exit. As the square of light above grew and grew, Ellie took one last glimpse down at the tunnels and spotted a distant figure staring after them mournfully. And then a cacophony of voices, each ringing out over the last one. When y'all make it out one day, or I'll die down here. I just wish this would end. Make it end. Make it stop. Let me out. Let me out. Ellie grasped her head. She had a splitting headache. When they got to the top of the stairs and into a coffee shop, Kaya helped her outside, where Ellie sat down on a bench, dazed. Later that night, Kaya would tell their parents that Ellie had gotten claustrophobic and had a panic attack. But Ellie, of course, knew what she had really heard, what they had both seen, what had really happened to them both. And she couldn't wait to head back home to Phoenix. Yay, yay, yay. Oh, the thought of like figures popping out of steam. Yeah. Oh. Just those shapes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was thinking uh, when we were in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago for your special, that hotel that we stayed at had a steam room. And oh, yeah. I couldn't handle it. I was like weirdly freaked out. And I think it's because I had kind of imagery like that in my brain of like, well, what if I can't really see what's in front of me? Then what if something like sort of like pops oh, through yeah. the steam? Because yeah, I was in there all alone. It's like, it's like being in a thick fog. Mm-hmm. I know. Fog is so creepy. Mm-hmm. Fog is great in horror movies. I ah. love it. when It's like, uh, you know, well used. Yes. Agreed. Uh, I have a bunch of pictures, not associated with this particular story, mm-hmm. uh, but there are lots of, you know, Shanghai Tunnel pics on the web from various ghost tours and places. So here's one. They're much bigger than I expected them to be. Some of them. Oh, okay. Not so heavily at fortified. All what I was thinking. Yep. Moving. Car- I guess it makes sense. You know, moving cargo in and out. It's yeah. got to be a, a, kind of like a bigger mine tunnel size. Mm-hmm. And then here's another one. Maybe this one leads to where the, the ships would be waiting on the Willamette, I'm guessing. Uh, this the article this pick Dang. and the previous pick were in uh, didn't didn't mention what those picks were of exactly, and then here's another pick featuring some steps that I imagine lead up to a business's uh, basement. This pick is just described as stairwell to wow. tunnels, but I had heard just from being in Portland over the years. Uh, you know, eventually I heard that there were in a lot of the old bars, old restaurants, and businesses downtown. In the basement, there would be like little doors Mm-mm. and then going down, you know, into these tunnels from that. Well, I would never be going down there. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a, uh, another picture of a, of a larger tunnel. This one, I was like, man, that's huge. It seems like very long. Very long and just like it's so wide and high. Mm-hmm. The thought of like building tunnels fascinates me. I don't entirely yeah. understand how you do that. Yeah, so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, th- this is a pic taken in Old Town Pizza and Brewing. And okay. I-, I love this picture. I'm hungry right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I am too. Uh, I'm so hungry. This picture, um, if you could, if you can see under the typewriter on the old hardwood floor. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And kind of, you know, going under that little, like, uh, you know, 
I guess what love seat maybe just kind of maybe a couch. I can't tell if it's a chair or a couch. A settee. A settee. Uh huh. Oh, cool. Uh, what makes a settee? Oh, it's S E T T E. Settee. I believe is. Is that type of chair? Yeah, like. Uh, yes, yeah, seat would be, but yeah. but it's settee, and it's like uh, you know, you have like a chaise lounge. Yeah. Okay, it's just like an old term for a little like two seater like that. Oh, cool. But, but that sort of like back ornate, um, the way it kind of like rolls yeah. or whatever. It's just a French. Oh, okay, yeah. Really sounds, pushing sounds my uh, my my knowledge of furniture. Yeah, I know yeah, pulling that from memory. Yeah. I know. I'm like, oh, it's been a while since I've studied my furniture. Well, if you move that typewriter and that settee uh, aside, there you could pull. It's like a trap door leading down into the tunnels. You can see the cutout specifically underneath the typewriter and the stand that it's on. You can see where the floor sort of separates. Yeah, and I can't tell if like if that is a separate. If that I'm assuming there's that other line a little farther uh-huh. away that goes back that would be bigger, mm-hmm. or if it's just that little square. But that's uh, yeah, that's one of the main any entrances into the tunnels. Yeah, I, my guess, honestly, is that that smaller one, there's probably like some access, that is an access point for something that is under there so that they don't, oh, as a business, have to open up the whole the thing. The whole thing, that makes sense. Whether it's just like a, a turn-off valve or something yep. like that. Yeah. Yep. Cool. And, and then last pick, uh, an old room discovered beneath a downtown Portland business that has bunk beds in it. That's creepy. Uh-huh, possibly. Triple bunk bed. Yeah, possibly where people were held captive uh, or where some people actually lived for a time beneath the city. I couldn't, I couldn't. What is that weird like thing in front of the... Yeah, I was trying to figure that if that was like an old lampshade or what it was, but some old piece of some type of, I don't know, ma- I don't know my machinery eyes are, or... My eyes are playing tricks on me and it looks like some sort of like weird mask to me, which I'm, I know it's not, but my eyes don't want to... You know when you look at something and your eyes decide it's something even though yeah. you know in your brain it's not and you like... Yeah, I don't know. It's like sitting on top of a chest, it looks like. <laughs> well, and just the way, yes, definitely. And just the way it is, the holes and whatever it is, it's yeah. got like two eyes and a mouth. Yeah. It's freaking me out. <laughs> yeah, so I, I would actually like to take a tour. I've had, we've had it recommended to us before from listeners, but I would like to take a tour of Seattle has some similar tunnels mm-hmm. in the underground and then Portland's tunnels. It, it would be cool to check some of that stuff out. I would need portable oxygen because <laughs> I, I do just get a little like anxious. When we went to a million moons ago, we went to the, was it the Sunshine Mine? Oh, I can't remember the name of the mine. Yeah, here here near uh, Kellogg, Idaho. Yeah, where they had, I mean, there was a tragic accident there. Or is it, wait, is it Ketchum? The Lucky Mine. Right. It's Silver Valley near Wallace and all that. Yeah. I, I, I will uh, flip Ketchum and Kellogg in my head. Oh, yeah. Ketchum's not by us. That's Kellogg. Ketchum's by Sun Valley, I think. Yeah. And Kellogg's. Is, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um, and a huge, really elaborate tunnel system with like elevators and, I mean, yeah. people down there working and actually mining. and it, it, Fascinating. But I had a really hard time after a period of time where it just, all I could think about was like, oh my God, it's going to cave in. We're going to die down here. We're going to die down uh. here. We're going to die down here. And they like taught us all the safety precautions. Like here's the ladders and here you, here's how you get up yeah, and out. Yeah. But I just, you can, for me, I can only be down there so long before my imagination starts to kick in and I can't yep. take it. No more. No more. Uh, any more questions about Portland Shanghai tunnels? Mm. No, I don't think so. I, th- I think that you answered all of the things. Huh? Oh, I was wondering. Yeah. I don't expect you to know this, but when you were talking about um, like guys being, sp- that sounded like mostly men, like being kind of like trapped down there, yeah. uh, essentially like solitary confinement. I was yeah. like, oh, is that where the phrase like get in the hole comes from? Like in these mm. like holes under town, like it, because to I me. I don't think so. I think that comes from prisons. Well, no, I know that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they, like, in prisons, is, mm-hmm. is it like based on people 
in olden days yeah. being like thrown underground into a hole into like a dark space i think so i'm not i'm not sure but i, I just i uh, have looked into some older prisons for various episodes of things yeah and i, and I think yes a long time ago they would just because it was you know rather than have to like build up the walls and build a special room yeah it would be easier just to dig a hole and yeah. then like have like a door from the top i think i'm not certain right, on that so, there's no light right so i'm taking it yep. back even further i'm saying like these tunnels are the original holes i don't know like get in the hole just like shoving people down there and leaving them for death it's like well then if those if people were doing that mm. so many moons ago and then they just carried over that idea and that concept to prisons yeah that i don't know I don't, I don't know how old that phrase is. I, I like to make these connections, so I'm just going to hold on to it. <laughs> uh, all right. Maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe. Uh, let us now explore an older North American legend. But before meeting the Raven Mocker, time to meet some sponsors. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Scared to Death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Scared to Death. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at NetCredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to those deals, creeps and peepers. All right. Quite a bit of setup now for some odd folklore. Okay. Uh, And I guess, I guess folklore is almost always odd, no matter where and when it comes from. It's kind of the nature of it. 
Uh, but these stories, I'm like, huh. Uh, <laughs> the Raven Mocker is an evil spirit from Cherokee legends and the most feared of the Cherokee witches. The Raven Mocker steals the hearts of the sick and the dying. This monster typically appears as elderly men and women, but invisible to most people. Uh, they fly through the air in a fiery shape. The sound of a raven's cry fills the air as they hunt for another victim. The website firstpeople.us describes the Raven Mocker as a fiery shape with arms outstretched like wings and sparks trailing behind and a rushing sound like the noise of a strong wind. Every little while as he flies, he makes a cry like the cry of a raven when it dives in the air, not like the common raven cry. And those who hear are afraid because they know that some man's life will soon go out. If you hear a raven mocker near you, it is supposed to mean that someone will die soon. Unless there is someone who can drive the raven mocker away, it will go inside the house to kill its victim, completely invisible to any family members who might be there. The raven mocker kills its victim by taking the heart, <laughs> but it leaves no marks on the victim's skin. The number of days or years that person had left to live is then added to the raven mocker's life. Sometimes a raven mocker will throw a sick or dying person on the floor to torment them before killing them, but to that person's friends and family, it just looks like they're struggling to breathe. There are certain talismans used to detect raven mockers, and these entities can be killed with starvation, fire, or sharpened ash wood that has been struck by lightning. Gotta be hard to find that. If a raven mocker is disturbed while feeding, whoever disturbs them might eventually become a raven mocker themselves. If a raven mocker goes seven days without feeding, it will starve to death. If a raven mocker finds out that they've been discovered, they will do anything to stop that person from talking. According to legend, if a raven mocker is recognized in his true form, then it will die in seven days. Other Cherokee witches are both jealous and afraid of the raven mockers. Legends say that if they see or hear a raven mocker cry above, they scatter and run. When a raven mocker dies, they may dig up the remains and abuse them, according to First People. There is one man from Cherokee legends who was a hunter of raven mockers and supposedly successfully killed several of them. And the following story is one that comes up a lot in various online sources about this witch, and uh, not the story I expected after hearing all this lore. Here we go. Time now for the tale of Home of the Raven Mockers. A young man was once out hunting and was traveling home after dark. He realized he was still a long way from home. Fortunately, he knew that an old man and his wife lived near where he now found himself, just off of the trail. He went to their house to sleep for a few hours until the sun rose and then found no one inside. He looked in their winter house. It was empty as well. So he decided to go into a corner of their winter house to sleep. Soon he heard a raven's cry and a short while later, the old man who lived at this place now came into the winter house and sat by the fire. At first, he didn't notice that there was a young man inside his home who was now lying sleeping in a dark corner. The young man then heard another raven outside. And the old man said out loud, Now my wife is coming, still not realizing the young man was with him in the tent. The young man woke to this, realizing the old man and woman were both raven mockers. He made sure to keep quiet to avoid alerting them to his presence. When the old man asked his wife, Well, what luck did you have? She answered, None. There were too many witch doctors watching. What luck did you have? The old man said he got what he went for and asked the old woman to cook what he gave her. The young man soon smelled meat roasting over the fire. When he dared to take a closer look, he saw what looked to him like a human heart in the flames. The old woman now realized someone was in the tent with them and asked, Who was over there in the corner? The old man still thought no one was there, but the woman insisted that she could hear him breathing. She stirred the fire to send the light all the way to the back corner, where the young man was now pretending to sleep, 
He did his best to keep pretending, even when the old man made a noise to try to wake him. The old man now came over to him and shook him. Only now did he pretend to wake. It was almost morning by this point. The old woman had gone into the other building to prepare for the day, and now the young man could hear her crying. When he asked why she was crying, the old man said it was because she felt lonely after she'd lost some of her friends. But the young man knew it was because they realized he'd heard them talking and learned the truth about them, and now they only had one week to live. The old man gave him some food for breakfast, and before he left, gave him a piece of beadwork, ordering him not to tell anyone what he'd heard. The young man threw the beads into a creek and returned home. He told everyone what he'd heard, and a group of warriors went out in search of these raven mockers. They found them seven days later, and the old man and the woman were already dead. They now burned their house to ensure that they could never come back. That's it? That's it. Oh. Old, oh. old folklore. Written a long time ago. Uh, for me, it's like, it's like oh, these were like more modern horror stories kind of come from. Yeah. But, you know, they're, they're not as, they're, they're a lot more uh, rough and raw. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do like the idea of this raven mocker, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the artwork around this thing is cool. Yeah. And yeah, it just reminds me of like uh, old Celtic folklore and Nord like all the old mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, what cracks me up about it is just like, you know, how we have um, advanced in various ways, like artistically, just, you know, as civilizations. And now like, you know, like with CGI and stuff, I think about yeah. like a new horror movie compared to a horror movie from like the 1950s. Mm-hmm. It just makes me laugh. I'm like, oh, that, that scared people in 1952? <laughs> oh, my God. It's crazy to me. And, and same with stories. It's like I can just picture like that story being told around a campfire, you know, 400 years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and little kids just like being <sighs> about to shit themselves. They're so scared. Yeah. But now it's like just because we're so jaded, I have more of a reaction of like, oh, that's cute. Uh, uh, <laughs> I do imagine our kids hearing the story being like, meh. <laughs> right i'm not afraid of no birds but it is cool to like throw them in from time to time just yeah like, oh okay that's like a you know a, a oral tradition i'm sure that story was you know handed down from generations and and i think it was like a, a cautionary bit of folk like a lot of folklore has cautionary kind of emphasis on it mm -hmm. and the raven mocker i think a lot of people uh feel it serves as a reminder to remain cautious and not always trust a stranger who shows unexpected kindness i mean no good deed goes without punishment right is that yeah another yeah cliche <laughs> yeah or saying yeah i, I don't understand why the the raven mockers didn't just kill the young hunters but there must be you know like folklore kind of morphs a little bit from telling to telling yeah like the apparition's power shift a little bit and apparently because he heard who they were yeah because that as soon gave as you, him power over them yeah because as soon as they were discovered they would die within a week so yeah, yeah. one uh, one must cancel out the other i guess so yeah yeah so here, so here uh, is some some pics. This is just some badass artwork of a raven mocker found on uh, AA Triple A Native Arts dot com. <laughs> on Triple Art A, <laughs> artist name not mentioned. So that That's was cool. Really cool. Really cool. And then this next one illustration of a raven mocker found in the number three 1982 edition of Owl Flight. Owl Flight. It was a short-lived cool. science fiction and fantasy magazine, long out of print now. It was uh, primarily local to the Bay Area. What's that? Um. You know that penguiny-looking guy that we see the, that mask. The oh the uh, 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 the um oh my god the plague plague doctor plague plague doctor yeah, yeah that's the plague what doctor that, costume that's what that bird in the back with its mouth cocked open makes me think of. And finally, just a silly one. Uh, not a raven mocker. Okay. Uh, maybe a raven lover. This is just a pick of a random lady and her pet raven. <laughs> For one second, when I just saw the blonde hair start to pop up, I was like, oh god, what does he have a picture of me doing? <laughs> <laughs> I just um, these kind of pictures like make me anxious or when people are like uh, when they have uh, yeah. large birds for pets yeah 
That bird will that sharp, attack that sharp you. little beak. And I don't know if I've even ever heard of that. You know, like I've heard of like chimps attacking your owners, dogs attacking your owners. I don't know that I've ever heard of our a, a dogs bird would attacking. never attack us. <laughs> uh, I I was like I wouldn't want my eyes that close to that beak. I know her eyes are closed, which also makes me anxious. I'm like, you don't know if he's coming for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, birds are skittish, real skittish. Yeah, they seem unpredictable, but I do follow a lot of weird animal um, uh, profiles. Uh, handles, I guess, on Instagram. Yeah. And, accounts. Uh, accounts. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Uh-huh. Thank you. You're welcome. I was like, none of that sounded right. Yeah, I follow a lot of like strange animal accounts, uh, just like exotic pets and stuff. Yeah. And there's a lot of like birds that seem, I mean, they are smart, but it's crazy. They're like, they're not frantic and all over the place. They seem super calm and chill. And they'll oh. be like, they'll like, their best friend will be like a dog or a cat. Oh, there but, are really cute ones of like ducks and dogs. Mm-hmm. But even then, when I'm watching the video, I still get like a little bit tense where I'm like, oh man, that dog has his eye right next to that beak. Just one peck. Bow. And that, that dog's eye is gone. <gasps> oh, that seems... That's why I get tense. Do you follow Birds Aren't Real? No, that's, that's that silly conspiracy account. Well, it's not, it's silly because it's not like, because it's insane. But yeah, they're I've, being I've serious. That, it's yeah, not... I've researched that conspiracy. It started off as a complete like joke to sell t-shirts, I believe, if I'm yep. remembering now. Birds aren't real. Birds aren't real. I just like, I was showing it to my physical therapist today and she is from New York and she was just dying laughing because there's this one post that they have that it's like, there are exactly, un- this is unrefutable evidence that there are exactly 80 million people in New York City and exactly 80 million pigeons. One oh, pigeon uh-huh, designated to each person. I love 80 million. That's like- this. Also, I love unrefu- unrefutable evidence. Mm-hmm. There's some conspiracies out there where I'm like, okay, you can be an intelligent person, but like part of your brain shuts down and you're able to fall for this for a variety of reasons. Sure, you get like taken for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's other conspiracies like like the birds aren't real. If you are a diehard, birds aren't real blue, you're just not smart. <laughs> like you can't you can't be smart and be a birds aren't real believer. Because it, it's it's that stupid of a conspiracy. It's so outrageous. Yeah. Oh God, it makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> Whew, okay, you got uh, your little handmade crocheted Layla over there. I do. I can see her. Mm-hmm. I think you're gonna have to start using another Layla soon. I, You've well, been I got, favoring. I got okay. Yeah. I got okay. Two. Red for the holiday season. Why not? I guess. <laughs> I just I love that orange chenille fluffy one. Mm-hmm. It's so cute. Okay, so as I mentioned before, my first tale today is a bit tragic, but also. Yeah. Uh, maybe like less on the paranormal and more of just like a bizarre experience an unexplainable experience okay uh but yeah the 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 idea that like a mother will go to the nth degree to save her child how far would you go far pretty far yeah pretty far yeah what do you want i'm just saying i would go further (laughs) (laughs) okay hey dan and Lindsay. I just wanted to say how much I've been loving Time Suck and Scared to Death, and I think it's the perfect opportunity to tell a story that I haven't really shared with anyone. My name is Quinn, and I've been working as an EMT and EMS out of Washington State for about eight years now. Cool. This story happened during the dead of winter in 2016. It was a Saturday night, and we were expecting the usual calls of alcohol poisoning, car accidents, and altercations. Having done the job for an extended period of time, it is safe to say that I've seen some truly bizarre and sometimes terrifying things, but nothing that leaves a bone-deep chill in my body like this encounter does. It was a few hours into my night shift, around 3 in the morning, when we got a call from dispatch. They had received a call about a one-car accident. During the call, 
The driver explained that she had lost control of her Dodge Ram on a patch of black ice and flipped her truck into a private lake. She was, understandably, hysterical and kept begging dispatch to send someone to find her. She kept repeating that she needed help and needed to be found. Despite trying to keep this woman on the line, the calls would drop every so often. The dispatcher would always try to call her back, but the only time they connected was when the driver would call dispatch back herself. Hmm. We arrived at the site and the temperature was 30 degrees and steadily dropping. We knew that the situation could turn deadly very quickly. The truck would have been impossible to see if you didn't know what you were looking for. We were met at the scene by a fire team and two sets of officers, so there were plenty of accountable people who can also attest to what we saw that night. My partner put on his wetsuit and proceeded to inspect the vehicle. He was under for so long that we were getting pretty nervous, but the moment he emerged was something I will never forget. In his arms was a nearly blue six-month-old baby girl. Wow. She was near hypothermia, but crying and angry, which in this situation was a very good sign. When my partner didn't go back down a second time, I knew that it was likely that the driver had passed away while waiting for help to arrive. It's tragic, but it does unfortunately happen sometimes. Once I approached the car, it became immediately obvious to me that the driver was not only deceased, but had been for so much longer than we realized. It had only taken 15 to 20 minutes to arrive on the scene, but it was clear due to the number of injuries and the advanced state of decomp on the body that this person had been dead and submerged in the water for at least three or four hours. The strongest chill I ever had invaded my entire body, and it had nothing to do with the worsening weather. I had so many questions, and judging by the looks of the faces of the officers around me, I was not alone. How had she made that phone call? None of us could make sense of it. This was just one of those things that defied all rational explanations. My partner and I came to the conclusion that the love of a mother is one of the most unstoppable forces on earth, not even susceptible to death. Thanks for taking the time to listen to my story. I look forward to hearing tons of stories from the both of you for a long while. Yours, Quinn. Wow, Quinn. Thank you for sending that in. Yeek. That's That's, that's such an intense story. It's so intense. Man, that would stick with you, obviously, for the rest of your life so powerfully. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, especially, I'm just like, dispatch, you know, whoever's like taking this call. And then to hear like, wait, what? Like, are you serious? Like the person I talked to several times on the phone, the person who alerted to us this exact location. Uh huh. <sighs> Weird. Hmm. I'm trying to think of like any other explanation. I mean, I, like, I, like, like, part of me was like, oh, did somebody else pretend to be the mother to call? But like, that's fucking weird. Like, why? Like, well, let, don't. Wouldn't they have like just? Oh, okay. Well, like, if that is the situation. Yeah. When this is when when the baby is in you know the hospital and safety mm-hmm, and blah blah. Mm-hmm. blah there's going to be some sort of investigation, right? Because it's like, you can't just like have like, okay, there would be like at least insurance. So let's say like this deceased person, uh, this child, now this baby girl has to go live with like a family member or whatever. Well, that family, I mean, that's the first option. Let's just say that there's family to send the baby to. Well, then the family's going to be like, well, what happened to the mother? Well, then then there's going to be an insurance claim. Then there's like, so somebody at some point, in my opinion, would have to look into it to figure out where the call came from. Yeah. Like pinpoint, you know? And it's mm -hmm. like, I don't know. And they said they weren't able to get the caller on the line when they called back. Right. But if they're calling back, they're calling a number. So they trace that number to somebody. Yeah. So, uh, 
to me, it's obvious that like, you know, like they, they knew where the call was coming from and I'm guessing they were able to place the call from the car, mm -hmm. which then did match up with the decomposition. And even if they couldn't do that, let's say that there's somebody else, that person would have to know that there was a baby in the car. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I'm trying to remember now if they actually said baby in the beginning. No, they didn't. It wasn't until they, until EMS EMT was on, on the scene and they were diving. Okay. But it was a woman's voice and the woman is saying that she's in the car. Uh -huh. So that would be so strange for random woman. Not involved in the accident. Yeah. Or let's say, I don't know, let's say she she was involved, like, uh, if she wasn't involved in a criminal way, like, like, like it'd be weird for, like, she causes the accident, mm -hmm. but then somehow, what, feels guilty and keeps calling the police to tell them that, like, yeah. that's a great way to get caught. Right. That doesn't make any sense. And if, mm -hmm. and if she didn't cause the accident, why not say... Like, hey, I just saw this I saw car spin go in. Out. Right. Can you please, like, nothing makes sense other than the call coming from the the mother. Okay, and and even if, even yeah. if somebody else witnessed it and was afraid they would be in trouble. Okay, all the all of the phone mm -hmm, call stuff mm -hmm. aside, if the decomp on the body is saying that the person was right. in the water three or four hours, yeah, but baby girl is okay, is okay, no effing way, right? Because because that would mean that somebody sees the accident, uh -huh. waits several hours, uh -huh. then keeps calling the police. Yeah, and, and that and doesn't again, make sense in any kind of scenario. Yeah, and, and just again, like outside of the phone call, it's just the idea that one, that two bodies go into the water simultaneously. Yeah, and one comes out and one doesn't when they're in. I mean, a baby has less of a chance well, of making and, it. And they're in a car, right? Like obviously, like they're they're trapped. So I'm guessing that the way that like the car filled up with water. Yeah. Well, is it, but like, like a car it seat sounds, isn't going to you know float. What? It sounds like I, I I doubt that the car did fill up with water. I it had the leak would have to be so small. Based on they said injuries, I'm guessing that the impact, something mm -hmm. with the impact, that's when. So the mom died at the crash point. Mm -hmm. Then the car sinks down there and is pretty airtight because if she's gonna, if it's going to be down there even with a the slow leak for three or four hours, mm -hmm. if enough water were to get in that car, that baby's dead. Right. So the baby had to have been dry. In the car, or there was a very no, slow be leak. Because they say that the the one guy like dove down and came back right, up right, right, right. with a baby. So the baby's yes. not going to be dry. The baby's going to be dry when you get the baby through the water, but the baby's going to be dry in the car for hours sitting underneath the water in an airtight car. I don't think that cars are airtight. Or, or close to airtight. There's just no way that the baby would be able to live in that water. So the baby had to have been dry until right before, or the baby would have drowned. I know. I know. That's what all makes it so weird is it just doesn't make sense. You, you can, I mean, people have gotten trapped in cars and stayed for hours. I think in certain vehicles, it does take a long time for it to fill up with water. Hmm. Okay. But even still, if upon yeah. impact, the mom died yeah, or died like very quickly after, mm -hmm. it still doesn't line up with the phone call. Right, right, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. like where it's like, yeah, that would just be proof of the paranormal for me for the rest of my life. I know. That made, I talked to a ghost. It made me think about when when we first bought our house. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That terrible accident. There was like some terrible, I, I, and like, just like, it just went out of the news very quick, very quickly. It was so bizarre. A mom in her car yeah. with two kids reversed her car into Fernand Lake yeah. and then they all drowned. And it was a I mean tragic on yeah. every freaking level. And then there was speculation that like maybe she had done it, maybe she hadn't. She was possibly in the middle of like a very awful terrible divorce. Just like this whole yeah. situation. Yeah, I remember I, th I thought I remember she was supposed to go to court the next day. 
Possibly. Yeah. And then and then the case was just poof, not in the news. Like like yeah. no one ever talked about it. And I'm like, mm, Ooh, did they see something spooky? Yeah, did her, does her spirit or her children's spirit haunt our lake? Mm. Is that why I think our house is haunted? <laughs> There's a lot of dead ghost spirits in the lake right by our house. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I just thought that was such a bizarre story. Mm, that was a good one. Yeah, it was good. Uh, sad, but good. Yeah, in the paranormal I know, uh, I know. sense. Well, oftentimes the paranormal is sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but especially. Whew, off to the south? Yeah. All right, to college we will go. Uh, when we were traveling over the holiday, the kids were getting such a kick out of your most insane college living stories. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what were you talking about? Yeah. You're telling the kids about this rat that lived in your house named Flesh Wound. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a long story. I don't want to. No, I wasn't asking you to. Oh, okay. It just was like cracking me up as I was putting this story together. I was like, oh my God, college living. Nobody's got more bizarre stories that are not related to the paranormal than one Dan Cummins. It is funny that the kids now, uh, I, I think I told some of those stories when they were younger and they're just like, yeah, just kind of like floated past them. Yeah. But now they're old enough to understand how inappropriate and just ridiculous so much it was. And, they, yeah. and they're just like, wait, what? I know. Huh? What? My favorite part of that, all of it, is that Monroe was like, okay, but honestly, this is awesome. And I feel like I would do these same things. <laughs> She's such a like little frat boy sometimes. She it's is, so actually. funny. She just loves madness and mayhem. She does. Yeah. She has my attraction to chaos. Yeah. Oh, buddy. But no. I used to have more when I was younger. Now, oh. now, I get, now I get it out like through like episodes and being ridiculous as opposed to causing actual uh, mayhem upon innocent people <laughs> in the world. <laughs> true, true, true. All right. Let's find out what's going on down in the South. Hey, Dan and Lindsay, my friend recently played me an episode of your podcast, and now I can't stop listening. Thank you. I have enjoyed it so much, and I wanted to share my own story of the one paranormal event that I'm absolutely convinced I experienced. I used to be a really big skeptic about this stuff, but something happened to me in my freshman year of college that totally changed my mind. I spent my first two years of college at the College of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina. My first year, I was placed in Barry Dorm. It was built atop the site of an old Charleston orphan house. Over 100 children reportedly died there. Additionally, the building supposedly served as a tuberculosis ward and a makeshift Confederate hospital. I'd heard lots of stories about this dorm before moving into it. Apparently, when the dorm was first constructed, the residents had a horrible time with false fire alarms going off constantly, which was especially spooky, considering the fact that there are stories about four children dying there of smoke inhalation after a Uh. fire, and many also reported hearing marbles rolling across the floor above them. I was pretty unimpressed with these stories because, again, I didn't believe in any of this stuff. But when I moved in, I immediately could hear the noises people were talking about. Late at night, I would hear rolling and clacking noises on the floor above me, like toys being played with, and my room kind of gave me a creepy feeling. I convinced myself the noises probably were old pipes or people moving around upstairs, so I still wasn't too freaked out. But as time went on, I was less and less able to convince myself that these events were able to be logically explained. When I was alone in the dorm, I would hear these weird shifting noises coming from the common room, like our dishes were being moved around. All of the plants in our dorm started dying, and we constantly had to replace brand new light bulbs. I was definitely starting to feel a bit weird. In addition to all of this, the strangest thing that had started happening to me when I opened doors was when I started opening doors, particularly the door to the bathroom, which connected the two suites in our room. Every time I opened the door, I would get this totally out of the blue mental image of an older woman screaming right in my face. 
I wasn't physically seeing her, but every time I opened that door, this incredibly detailed image forced itself into my head. An old woman with a skinny, wrinkled face and some mm. sort of head covering, shorter than me, just screaming furiously. It was absolutely bizarre. And then my roommate told me casually and kind of joking that she had been seeing this weird image of an old nun popping into her head. I immediately got a feeling of dread in my stomach and told her, realizing that we probably both sounded crazy, that I had seen this lady too. And that's when we both started to freak out. I started to get more and more conscious of, uh, conscious of the weird noises in our room. I would only half believe in it, but it was starting to get me more and more. A couple of times, I made myself stand up and go into the common room where I had heard things being moved around. Of course, there was never anything there. Once, a plate fell from a counter and smashed onto the floor when I was alone there, sitting in a different room. My roommate, who was a bigger believer in these things, said she felt three presences. Two children, particularly a little boy, and the older woman, who we, who we began to refer to as the nun. The children, my roommate mm. said, felt more playful, like they were the ones moving things around and making the noises. The nun didn't feel so playful. Our rooms were constantly dark. We couldn't keep up with the number of light bulbs that were going out. Some corners of the room seemed to always be dark, even when the lights were on. We even brought those little lights that stick to the wall to a place in one particular corner that creeped us out. But when we woke up in the morning, they had not only gone out, but the lights had been knocked off the walls. One night, I woke up thinking I had heard my roommate whisper my name right next to my ear. But when I opened my eyes, my roommate was asleep in bed. By the end of the year... We were really scared. I couldn't come up with any explanation of the weird things happening or the sense of dread I always felt in my dorm room. Sometimes I swore I saw child-sized shadows out of the corner of my eyes, and my roommate had started waking up to, feel, to the feeling of someone pushing on her bed. Even our other roommate, who was totally disinterested in our concern, suddenly screamed one night when she felt her mattress be pushed forcefully when no one else was in the room. And it all came to a head when I started sleeping in my believer roommate's room. She was in the other suite, which again was connected to my room by a shared bathroom. And she was convinced her room was where the weird energy was the strongest. That was where the weird dark corner was. She got to the point where she was waking up every night at 3 a.m. just laying there petrified with fear for no reason. And she was scared to sleep in there by herself. She didn't have a roommate, so she had pushed together the two beds to make one big bed, and I told her I would sleep there with her. One night, she woke me up at 3 a.m. Something just pushed the bed, she whispered. At this point, I was so sleep-deprived and scared that I had just mentally checked out. It's okay, I told her. Just go back to sleep. But she couldn't. There's something at the end of the bed, she said, staring at the foot of our bed. I had a really heavy feeling, and I started to feel scared as well. It was like we could both feel something in the room with us. Then we both froze as we heard feet shuffling across the bathroom floor that then stopped right at the closed door. I swear I heard breathing on the other side like something was standing there. We called out for our other roommate thinking that maybe she'd gotten up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, but there was no response and the lights were off. For a second, we just sat there, totally paralyzed. Finally, my roommate said that she was going to get up and turn on the light. For some reason, it felt like making that heavy darkness go away even a little bit would break this horrible dread that we were both feeling. But at the time, I got a sick feeling thinking about her getting up out of bed. Something in the room felt angry, like it would snap if either of us moved. Don't do it, I whispered, but she just shook her head 
she was determined. She inched over the edge of the bed and the pressure in the room felt dizzying. She stepped onto the floor and all of a sudden it was like everything broke. I was right next to the door handle and I swear I saw it rattle like something was trying to come through. There was a thud on the door like a hand slamming up against it and then my roommate hit the light and the feeling was gone. I didn't sleep that night or for a lot of nights to come. Luckily, we were at the end of the school year and we were soon able to move out of that room. But I'll never forget that horrible, suffocating feeling of dread in that moment before my roommate turned on the light. Something in that room felt furious, malevolent. It still makes my heart rate speed up even just writing about it. Though I used to be a skeptic, I'm convinced there was something demonic in that room and you couldn't pay me to spend one more night there. Sorry for the long story, but I hope that even if it doesn't get told, which it does, <laughs> it at least gives you a good spook. Thanks again for reading. You and the team are awesome. Best, Ella. Thank you, Ella. Now, that was a super creepy story. And, I thought so. And so much ongoing stuff and like the little shadows in the face and m- multiple sightings and wow. on and on and on. I would be freaked out living there. Me too. And like for people who have active imaginations, like sometimes I do dream up people in my brain. Yeah. And it made me start thinking about like, do I have control over that? Am I doing that? Or is that being imposed on me from some energy that I don't have control over? Yeah. What a weird place to let your mind go. I know. I know. Mm -hmm. Well, last night when we were going to bed, I went to bed before you. Yeah. I was so tired and I got into bed. And then before you came to bed, there was a couple moments where I I. Okay, first, I pulled the blankets up high, and I thought I heard the jingle jangle of the dog's collar. Yeah. So then I was like, Penny, Gigi, like calling around for them. They were not in there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, okay. It must have been something else. Like, you know, I was like had like bracelets on. It could have been yeah. anything. And then I thought I heard you get up and go to the restroom, mm-hmm. like while you were still downstairs watching TV. So yeah. I like called out to you, no answer. I was like, okay, I'm totally losing my mind. I was also high. <laughs> and then, And then you did come to bed. Yeah. But first you had like, the dogs were trying to push the door open. Yeah, and I think that's where the noise, yeah, I'll explain in a second. Yeah. So then I was like, Dan, Dan, and then you weren't saying anything. And then you did come in and then that really scared me because I didn't think anyone was there. And then lastly, we were both like just on the edge of sleep. And I definitely did hear something thud down the stairs upstairs where I was like, it didn't sound like something falling. It, it was the very distinct sound of down the stairs and I did not care for that but you didn't hear it and I was like oh, baby did you hear that and you were like uh, no I'll go to sleep <laughs> so then I just had to roll over and go to sleep I had no yeah, choice yeah I just heard the last thud-ish sound I didn't know what was going on I figured something dropped or whatever but I didn't hear the repetitive sounds yeah but the uh, I, the other the other sounds you were hearing earlier so cute but also uh, annoying because they do it when it goes on and on and on yeah but the dogs Penny and Gigi like uh, as you know they do this game where if you give them two bones, we always give them each a bone. Right. And then for, I don't know how they decide this in their dog brains, but inevitably <laughs> one of the bones becomes the important magical bone that is far superior to the other bone, even if they're identical. Yeah. And all they care about is that one. And so one dog will have the bone and be happily chewing on it and just will on and on, won't let it go. And then the other one is lurking around <laughs> so annoyed that it doesn't have that bone. It'll come over to you. It'll paw you. It'll like stare at you like, please Dad, get that bone for me. me. Help. And then over Christmas, we got them these cartoonishly giant bones. They're so fun. They don't get rawhide. This is the only time they're allowed to have rawhide. Yeah. They get like these huge, like rawhide candy cane They're bones. like four feet long. 
They're ginormous. Like, like le- legitimately four feet long. And these like, are little 25, 30 pound dogs. The dogs have a hard time picking up the bones. Like, it's so funny. And it's and they're, they're so long that they have a hard time getting into places. So they'll, they'll I can't believe they're <laughs> actually able to pick them up and hold them the way they do. I know they're heavy. Heavy. And then they'll like, you know, try to get in like the bathroom somewhere and just like cartoonishly just bonk against oh, the Oh, is that what it was? Yep. They can't like, they were trying. So what happened was those noises. <laughs> Gigi was trying to get this giant bone into the bedroom because she has a little dog brain. She didn't understand that it's four feet across and the doors cracked open maybe two feet and she just keeps ramming it into the space. Got it. Got trying it. Trying to get in. Oh and then gosh. and then I had to like wrangle them and the jingling you probably heard was I had to like take the bone out of her mouth, push her in the door and then now Penny wants it. Nope. And I had to grab it and like shut her, throw uh-huh, her in there, uh-huh. tell them to knock it off, go lay down. Well, the like, jingle the jingle thing. happened like a half an hour before oh, you came okay. to bed. That's why it scared me so much. But yeah. the, the rest of that makes sense. Yeah. They're having a bone battle. Oh boy. These dogs. God, they're so funny. Mm-hmm. They really do. Like whenever we give them a treat, it's so funny. <laughs> they have their treat drawer, which like uh-huh. if you have pets, you know, you have a spot for all their things. And Penny knows, ex- I mean, they both know exactly where it is. Yeah. But Penny will go outside and then she'll run around and then she just sits in front of the drawer and she's like, kind of like, come on. looks at it and nudges it and like all this stuff. And then, uh, you know, so open the drawer, get one of each treat, they sit, they mm-hmm. get it. And then Penny will take it and run to her bed and Gigi will take it and run downstairs. Like they have to hide from each other yeah. because if they don't, somebody is going to get their right, treat, yep, but it's like that's never afraid. happened. Nope, never happened. But they're in their brains. They're yeah, very concerned. God, they're so that funny. the other dog is going to steal from them. Bunch of shamalama ding dogs. <laughs> you want to do right. some Annabelle shout outs? I do. Well, the names this week are tough. Okay, just as a heads up. All right. Well, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for helping us to donate to the Museum of Tolerance this month: Mackenzie McCarthy, Gabriel Tafoya Jr., Tabor R. DeRoyne, Jonathan Hall. Salon Plume, Dr. Fingers. Dr. Fingers. Dr. Fingers. Richard Cologne, Megan Richardson, Trisha Connolly, Lana Rains, Cheyenne Coglianese, Coglianese, Fox Castle Props, Shentel Ingram, Jennifer uh, Aceveas, Nick Blair, Melissa Perea, Josh Merlino, Matthew and Brooke. Georgia Howell and C. Wayne, like C. the Wayne. letter. Oh, okay, yeah. I hope this doesn't uh, offend Dr. Fingers, but when I hear Dr. Fingers, I, I picture like a, a bad wedding DJ. Oh, Dr. Fingers. Mm-hmm. And maybe he even like a little DJ court, like, Dr. Fingers. Yeah, just Dr. Fingers. He's got, we got, <laughs> hey everybody, I'm Dr. Fingers. We're going to keep this dance floor moving along. And then he has like <gasps> maybe even like a little stethoscope, it, like as a corny, like an extra accent piece. He is the like the lesser brother to DJ Honey. Like DJ Honey's got the radio show. Dr. Fingers has to do like the wedding DJ and it's like the wedding DJ. <laughs> he fills in for DJ Honey. He's so freaking mad because he wants to be the one on the radio and it's like a weird rivalry. Hey everybody, uh, Dr. Fingers. Uh, DJ Honey is out sick today. So I'm going to be handling the uh, adult contemporary hits on uh, Charlotte's number one station, The Buzz. Yeah. Yeah, he tries to fill in but he can't do it. <laughs> uh, I have some, I have no Dr. Fingers. But oh, I have no, You've some... got some really tough I got, a few tough Polish names in there. I know at least one is in there. Oh, yeah. I have no idea what it is. Uh, Janet Reyes, Patrick Turnbull. I'm going to come back to this one at the end. Uh-huh. I'm going to skip it and come back to it. Andrew F., Clove Zanoya Harris, Brietta Adams, Michelle Johnson, MMD in the Desert. Nice. Lisbeth, Matt Brimmer, Andre Chikatilo, Lurassel, uh, Jeannie Yui. Or, Just yeah, you, maybe? You, Jeannie Yu, maybe, perhaps. Desiree Hedges. Nicholas Green, Pat Tier, uh, Senor Gato, and his Who Man. 
Human. Human. Uh, it is human, maybe. Hum- just, human. It's H O O M A N. It's like human. Human. Uh, like in uh, like the the a pet's life or the oh. story. It's like my my human. My human. Yeah. Uh, Zelda uh, Zelda Barrett. Uh, Deidre Taylor. Deirdre. Nick, oh, Deirdre. You're right. Deirdre Taylor. Nick Cruz. Good catch. Thomas. This is one of the tough ones. Luz Nwiski. Luz Nwiski. D-L-U-Z-N-I-E-W-S-K-I. No, it's Polish. I have no idea how to say it. If I looked at it, I, I remember looking at it thinking like, I could I could do that. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then this. This is the hardest name ever. I have P-O-D-R-Z-E-G-A-C-Z. no idea. P-O-D-R-Z-E-G-A-C-Z. C H A O S U. So I wanted to just like Chao make it Patty for sure. So Pod Pod Rizgaz, Pod. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I, if I was like working at a like a flight at the at the, at the gate, <gasps> I, I, would, I would literally just have to spell it. Be like person, which I've heard them do sometimes. Yeah, I mean because there's like is there Pod Rizgaz Kachazu Pod I'm Pod I love this country. I'm Pod I don't know. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Padrigas. I guess you have. I'm. I'm strongly assuming you have a shortened version of that as a nickname that people actually like. They call pod. You pod. They call you Gaz. They call you Z. But I want to know how to say that because I could not figure it out. I even tried googling it. I was like, "What? I don't understand." No, I, I will say Polish is one of the toughest, like Icelandic and Polish, mm-hmm. to the point that when I've tried to on TimeSuck look up pronunciation guides, and there's this website called Forvo. Uh-huh. And it'll be like, you can just add to it. If you're like a, a person from Polish, it'll just say like the country and male or female. Mm-hmm. And then you can submit an entry. I don't know what kind of gatekeeper they have for this. Yeah. But I've never heard one that was way off. I have looked up like the names of obscure like Polish towns. Yeah. And I've listened to the person say it like six times. And I'm like, I don't know how to make my mouth move <laughs> to make that sound. Oh man, I like, want an example. I don't even, I don't even know. I, I keep hearing it and I still don't know what I'm <laughs> hearing. Like it's just so foreign, like the alphabet, the way the alphabet works over there. I would need a broken down phonetically like one and there are some i mean you know like that's why that's like you know there gets to be these cliches or stereotypes like i can't remember which asian country like there's no equivalent for r uh-huh and so and then people will like joke like oh why you know they say this weird it's like yeah because they fucking grew up their mouth yeah, why never they? made that sound we ha- i have like we grew up our mouths making certain sounds mm-hmm. and in other alphabets like in iceland or like Pol- there are sounds that we don't have an equivalent to. Right. So it's like if your mouth in your formative years never learned how to make that sound, you're probably never going to nail it. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So there you go. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. Yeah. Can I well, do I, think, some- I think some people don't uh, think about that. They're like, come yeah. on. And I'm like, no, it's, it's literally impossible for some people like yeah. myself. Well, and you're tongue tied <laughs> and you have a small mouth. And yeah, yeah, yeah. you guys, I just learned out that Dan, oh, yeah, does- I have way less teeth than most Dan people. doesn't have the same amount of teeth as the rest of us. <laughs> the rest of some people like I'm some weird mutant Dan has 67 teeth you're supposed to have 28 whatever it is <laughs> Dan has 32. less teeth he has less teeth than he's supposed to have than you're the average I have person six less teeth six I forgot until okay. my mom brought it up that I don't have any eye teeth and I don't have wisdom teeth I had, I had my four wisdom teeth pulled and I had my two eye teeth pulled and my teeth are still crowded. So I'm so I'm on the phone with his mom, or we're on like a speaker call with mm-hmm. your mom. And I don't even know how teeth came up. But she's like, well, you don't have your eye teeth. And I immediately whipped my head so fast. I was like, what? Yeah. Smile at me. Where are your teeth? And then you screamed, oh my God, he's deformed. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> and then we told the kids and the kids were also like, yeah. wait, what? That's an yeah. option? Yeah. You said a little baby mouth. I, it's I I I find I like the irony. So cute. And me not actually having like a well formed mouth for speaking. Yeah, Mister, ha- your whole job is speaking. Yep, and my whole job is speaking. <sighs> and you Strange. do talk a lot. So. Oh boy. Oh boy. 
Uh, you want to do some spoopy shout outs? I do. To Barbara, oh, to Barbara Ann from Jade. Happy birthday. Glad you're in my life. Appreciate you and love you, you bitch. <laughs> uh, to Big Bear from Katie Pie. Happy sixth anniversary. I love you, you weirdo. To Juani from Jenny. It's Juan, but have an average spoopy birthday, big bro. You're an okay brother. That's like what I would say to my brother. Yeah. To Tara from Tom. Thank you for 20 years of friendship and 10 years of marriage. Can't imagine my life without you. Can't wait to drink Whipple. Nice <laughs> Whipple! With you every morning until we cross the rainbow bridge. I love you. Oh, that's nice. And to Zoe, a schmedium daughter, and Megan from your dad and husband, Ryan. Love you guys. Sweet. I want to know what a schmedium daughter is. Schmedium. She must be schmedium sized. Or Small like, medium. she's like, maybe... Like average, like she's just mm. kind of medium. Oh, wow. Like mid. She's a mid daughter. Uh, that is our show. Thanks for all the ratings and reviews in 2022, Creeps and Peepers. They helped us find so many new listeners. We did it. If you enjoy the show and haven't rated or reviewed us yet, please do so. It helps so much more than you could know. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Don't forget to keep your eyes peeled, keep your peepers peeped uh, for the launch of those summer camp tickets. Uh, thanks to Logan Keith and Tyler C for their work on social media with Ryan Handelsman and his team and to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com thanks to Tyler for producing and directing today Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails and to book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories for book number four uh, thanks to producer Sophie Evans for finding the first story I told this week I knew it I knew that was a Sophie story yeah, yeah. And, and to Olivia Lee for finding the second Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch this show. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want to see the pics that accompany the episodes at Scared to Death Podcast. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with thousands of horror-loving members. You can also follow us on TikTok, Scared to Death Podcast. And if you don't want to hear ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon, get the entire catalog ad-free and more. If you want second dibs on summer camp tickets, get on Patreon. Boom. Boom. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Happy New Year. And hope you were scared to death. Happy New Year! If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Magic Productions. So, pod, pod rasgaz, pod. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I, if I was like working at a like a flight at the at the, at the gate, <gasps> I, I, would, I would literally just have to spell it. Be like person, which I've heard them do sometimes. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. 
They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.